On this episode, we discuss Grand Isle. Also known as Accents, the movie. And Merry Cagemas! Ho, 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 I'm Dan McCoy. <laughs> I'm Stuart Wellington. <laughs> I'm just regularly a Kalen. I'm not a ghost or a Santa or any of those things. <laughs> okay. Just a regular old guy. Uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like part of... Uh, I think at its heart, this show is an improv podcast, and Elliot just yeah. <laughs> fucked it up. <laughs> I didn't. I did not doubt Elliot the reality that either of you guys breaks. were living in. <laughs> no, I'm I'm the character. I'm the character in the SNL sketch who's like, "What? That's crazy." Yeah. Huh? Uh-huh. Why would you do that? You know, the character you it's don't like an, need. Like an it's audience. Joke. It's an audience <laughs> surrogate. Yeah. 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 Finally, there's a character in the sketch that's expressing what I want to know. Uh huh. <laughs> wow, Elliot Kalin's dismissing the concept of the straight man. Outright. Mm-hmm. No, 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 Daniel. No, no, no. There's a different there's a difference between a straight man and I a character. I think the straight who, man has had enough say in Hollywood, well, don't you think, Dan? Let's hear it very, for the boy. I think not. What? <laughs> uh, a, a clapping hands emoji, clapping hands emoji. Great. Uh I th- Dan, I think the difference is the straight man in a sketch is usually the one who is annoyed by what's going on. Mm. Whereas the straight man in a lot of the older SNL sketches, I don't know if they still do it. I haven't watched the show in a long time. Will is there to kind of point out to the audience that there is a premise yeah. and to make sure the audience didn't miss what's going I'll on? I'll be honest. There. Sometimes I need the premise, the the fact that there's a premise pointed out to me because occasionally they'll they'll put on a sketch where they appear to shift premises every few minutes. <laughs> that uh, that alarms me. Yeah. Hey, if you can't deal with the new TikTokification of SNL, where it's just a new piece of content every couple of seconds, then I guess I'll leave it up to the young people like me and Stu. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I need all of my content to be immediately uh, gifified or jiffified. Which is it, Dan? <laughs> well, gifified is when it's animated, and jiffified is when it becomes peanut butter. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> well, as you no but, doubt, but not allowed no in schools anymore. Thanks, Obama. No, no. As you know, <laughs> as as you no doubt guest by now this is a podcast about a bad about bad movies not a bad movie if it was about one bad movie that would probably be the worst idea of all time but instead it's about many bad movies it's called the flop now, do you mean it, it would be the worst idea of all time or it would be the podcast the, the worst podcast, idea, of all, the time, worst idea is, of all time okay well, who are yeah. a sponsor of the show i guess <laughs> i guess you know check them out they're funny too uh but the point is check out uh, no no listen tide. to this show don't, no. don't stop listening to this and go to another podcast stop listening. Nope. a rising tide lifts all ships let's yeah. get the idea of podcasts out there into the meat space take it yeah click it <laughs> on your desktop, drag the little icon to trash, and then hit delete flop house forever. Anyway, the <laughs> no. point is, this is a flop. This is a flop house. There's fair, Your Honor, I'll allow it. There's, no, there's, there's nothing untrue about that. This is a wait a minute. <laughs> it, wait, is the judge a dog too? This seems unfair. <laughs> so, uh, and probably not only is this, goes, goes, Your Honor, certainly a dog can't practice law, and the judge goes roof. Because it's also a dog. Oh man! Wait a minute. How Why deep am I in into the Air Bud series? It is, is it where, <laughs> where Air Bud is now a judge? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 when the Air Bud and the Lincoln lawyer crossed over. <laughs> so wait. Uh, now the I, weird thing is he's Judge Dredd, but he's a dog. 
Now, here's my question. So William Wegman, he did those pictures where he dresses up his dogs in, in clothes. How come he never dressed them up in, like, costume costumes, like superhero costumes? Off the rails. Wouldn't you want to, wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to see, like, a big draw, a big dog dressed up as, like, the Joker or something yes, like that? always. Mm. Yeah. What do you think Jokerified that dog? <laughs> Uh, probably that he was the Joker's like, dog. We live in a pack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway. Thank you. Um, well done. This is a podcast, uh, and probably based on uh, all that nonsense and foofaram, it's a reasonably successful one. And the premise is, <laughs> we watch a bad movie, and then we talk about it. And uh, and Dan, tell us about Cagemas. Cagemas is a special time of year where we honor Saint Nicholas Cage, who is. Uh, is is a great actor uh, who's known for giving uh, on a hot streak right now. If you big ask me, performances. Yeah. But uh, until I don't. I mean, like he seems to be coming out of it now. Maybe he's out of his financial difficulties. Until recently, he had not been making the best uh, choices. I say this because I don't. I don't want to contribute to like this memification of Cage, where we're like, oh, what a what a crazy uh guy. Like, is he a bad actor? He's a great actor. I mean, no, go no, watch I think Pig. I've- and uh, yeah. big rules. We'll see, long but- time, long time listeners, don't listen to the Overkill song "Pig," which is a great song, but it's not related to the movie in any way. Uh, a long time listeners of uh, of this podcast will know our stance on Nicolas Cage is that he is a great actor who does not always know the best a way to channel the amazing amounts of acting energy that he has. Much like Havoc, the X Men character who mm-hmm. must wear a special costume yeah. to contain the cosmic energies that he's always absorbing. Uh, Nicolas Cage is kind of like that with acting energy and. Uh, and it's hey, yeah, well known that when you yeah. uh, Elliot, when you fill out one of those uh, based on your answers to these questions, which X Men character you usually are you? Because I usually get like Havoc. Usually, you do. Usually, really yeah. I filled out a lot of these because the first time I got <laughs> Havoc, I'm like, oh, that sucks. He just explains his powers and then never uses them. I mean, because he's so scared of him, and he's always living in his brother's shadow too. I know. Um, well, I mean, to me, you, you know that I'm probably Nightcrawler or Beast. I gotta mm-hmm. be blue and furry. That's me. <laughs> That's the life of a Jewish person, blue and furry. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, well, the furry part. So the, but Nicolas Cage, uh, it's well known. He had a lot of financial issues for a while. He didn't pay his taxes. So he kind of had to take whatever movie was thrown his way. And lately he hasn't been doing as much of that, which is great. Or maybe it's just that people are learning how to use him again, yeah. you know, after his earlier Not to do another runs. tangent, but Dan, I think you and I should, uh, should identify and celebrate Elliot's growth by saying that he's needs to be blue and furry. And then he did not say dabu dee dabu dao. I, right, yeah, I, <laughs> I was waiting for it. Did not happen. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, Elliot, the intervention we staged obviously <laughs> paid off. Took, yeah. um, I remember very well. You each told me how I had hurt you by continuing to tell you that I'm blue. Dabu dee, dabu die. Dabu dee, dabu die. And in the, in the middle of it, Elliot die. went into the bathroom and started, we could clearly hear him singing that song. <laughs> yeah. Sadly to himself. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm trying to get better and better every day. It's all, it's a process. So, Nicolas Cage, he's great. And we like to celebrate him at least twice a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we watched a Nicolas Cage movie, right? But we had to dig back a couple of years. There was a time when we had a bounty of Nicolas Cage needs to pay his bills movies, usually shot in Eastern Europe for very little money and released on VOD to dig through. But lately, like we were saying, he's been on been on an upswing. He had Pig and he had um, other like things. Color Out of Space was good. Mm-hmm. Like oh, yeah, that Color one. Out of Space. Yeah. He's uh, going to so, play Dracula, right? Mm-hmm. That sounds great. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. going back a little further, you got Mandy, you got uh, Mandy, yep. this Into the Spider Verse, obviously. Into the Spider Verse, and then good stuff and we have Grand Isle. It's all great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> I don't know. So Dan, what what brought movies. you? To, so Dan, what brought you to our movie 
this this week, Grand Dial? Because you were like, we got to see this one, boys. Oh, wow. And you had dollar signs in your eyes, and then your mouth hung open, and your tongue rolled up out, and you hit yourself in the head with a mallet, and, and then your tongue rolled back up again. Your eyes and turned his into tongue was a whistles. giant dollar bill, but it was clearly uh, a novelty dollar bill, so we could use it on camera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was like the money in the wire, which always looks super fakey. Uh, like they just photocopied a drawing of a dollar bill. But yeah. uh, So, Dan, what, what was it well, about Grand Isle? you know— so, Other than the fact that everything about this movie screams thick gumbo of accents. <laughs> Listeners may know that um, that I'm the one of the three of us who, in his personal non-Flophouse life, still sort of maintains a dedication to uh, trash in my movies. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, even though I am the oldest and theoretically have the least time to waste on this earth. I, yeah, I, to, that's very true. <laughs> and to put to put it into layman's terms that everyone will understand, if Dan was walking by the classic East Village clothing store Trash and Vaudeville, he'd mm. say, I don't need vaudeville. Just give me trash. <laughs> no, you know, yeah, you the know vaudeville's me, Elliot. I would want the vaudeville, too. <laughs> yeah, actually, Dan would like the vaudeville, too. Actually, Dan, Dan's ideal vaudeville show would be, like, probably some some just like some like comedy jugglers from the 30s pretending mm-hmm. that there's a ghost in the room and then just, like, an alien having sex with a woman and yes. someone shooting the head off a, off a monster. Like, that, that, that'd be Dan's ideal vaudeville. I, I find it very strange to think that there's anyone in the world who wouldn't be entertained by all of that, but... <laughs> Um, <laughs> anyway, the point is, I had read I had read reviews of this uh, a ways back when it came out, and um, I like a big slab of southern fried ham uh, mm-hmm. in my movies. Uh, <laughs> and also seeing that not only Nick Cage was in this, but also Kelsey Grammer Ooh. felt like a, a, and that a grammar good is omen for our with podcast. An accent. <laughs> yep, yep. Wait, are you saying the rumble from Money Plane is in this movie? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, what's weird is so so Kelsey Grammer is slowly turning into the the late uh, Senator Fred Thompson, uh, who was like an acting <laughs> senator. And in this movie, there were times where I was like, "How did they get Fred Thompson? He died years ago." Oh wait, it's Kelsey Grammer. Hold on a second. Wait. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and there's also and I the other actors in the movie I also I wasn't super familiar with, but they also are. Very heavy Southern accented, like too. And yeah. the the writing of this movie, you literally have a person, a woman in a bathtub saying to a man, "Why are you just standing there like a tree in the woods?" And it's like, <laughs> come on, there's, there's so much, there, there's so much, like there's so much. Um, uh, it's it's a real uh, like what would you call it, Tennessee Williams exploitation movie? Yeah, it's it is a, it's Southern Gothic crossed with you know noir. Up until the end, which I'm sure we'll get to, where the movie flies straight off the rails into it's something I'm like, not quite sure I understand. It's, it's into something like, really unpleasant. It's kind of like the James Hurley bit from the end of the first, what, the second season of Twin Peaks mixed with people under the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's I, I see, and I thought this movie... It, it really kept surprising me, not in a, not in a pleasant way. You thought it was, it was like, oh, you thought, I thought it was, was going to be a video game created by a son mm-hmm. who wanted to reconnect with his father. Yes. Oh, that's what I wanted. In which his dad has sex with a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. Like, and and jumps naked into the ocean scrotum first. Yeah. But uh, we're we're talking, about, of course, about the movie. What was it called? Uh, Ser- Serenity. Uh, not not Serenity. The, not the Firefly movie. 
I, I wanted to call it Justice Fish, <laughs> but because uh, there's a fish called Justice in it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a fish called Justice, then that's a title. <laughs> yeah, a fish called Justice is the sequel to a fish called Wanda, where they're all cops now. <laughs> oh wow, that's too bad. I don't think it's gonna play and well for test audiences. <laughs> and the judge is a dog. So oh, this movie, it's, okay. it starts out seeming like it's gonna be like a southern crime noir thing. Then it's gonna be like a sexual thriller. Then it's gonna, <laughs> then it turns into a, an action movie, kind of. And then, and then, then at, by the end, it's a horror movie. And but all through it is such a like you could have taken this this same script and shot it and it released it you shot it in the 70s and released it into like a grindhouse movie in times a theater in times square and i don't think you would have i mean you changed the not i guess topical references because it takes place in 1988 but it's it the whole time i was watching i was like oh yeah this is what it was like to watch like to unironically watch like a grindhouse movie in a movie theater where you feel gross the whole time yeah. like there's sludge <laughs> on you well also i <laughs> I mean, this this will make a little more sense once we've gotten into it. But as long as we're talking like meta things about the the movie, um, yeah. The uh, I've seen this bit of trivia written up a couple places on the internet. I don't know whether it's true or not, but supposedly the screenplay was originally called Fancy Buddy and Mr. Walter. Fancy Buddy and Mr. Walter. Now, Shit. I wonder. I mean, but I also saw a trivia that said Nicolas Cage ad-libbed all his lines, which I do not think no, is true seems... because there's plot information. In, although there is one, <laughs> there is one line I'm going to highlight ahead of time. There's a few that he probably did. <laughs> yeah. There's one line where he's so Nicolas Cage's character is talking to the hero question mark Buddy, and he says, "So how long has it been since you had your uh, cock?" Sucked. And it's like, <laughs> almost like Nicolas Cage in that moment cannot believe what he's saying, and the words jump out of him without him even yeah, realizing. Like, it's and awesome. it's only while he's saying it that he's like, "What am I saying?" So that was that was a moment that's oh, almost was watching the movie. Man. Oh, it's <laughs> awesome, sir. This is a Wendy's. <laughs> the, uh, sir, sir, <laughs> sir. I just wanted to know if you wanted a king size or queen size bed. It's this is the Marriott. Okay, stick with me, guys. Elliot, you're suggesting that this could have been a grindhouse or like a late night Cinemax movie in the night. 90s maybe i'm going to yes. cast that fucker right now uh walter is george hamilton fancy is shannon tweed uh buddy is billy zane boom scored that shit yep. you, no you scope. got it it's on it's it's yeah. well that's amazing for a, a flawless victory that's on at 1 30 in the morning <laughs> well, on cinemax I, and, you know. and but here's the problem here's the problem in the tv guide it says nudity which means a shot of someone's butt not sexual situations yeah. which means a lot of nudity yeah. so dan I, well, I just I the my one problem I like it's we it's should almost, talk. We, I'll, I'll go into what the movie's about. Too, I feel so like, I feel what we're like Billy about. Zane seems too like uh, both both too smart for this part and too much like he would be the one embroiling you in a web of that's true. sexual desire. See, that, by I guess that's see, true. It's, it's mm. funny how uh, amazing casting can sometimes improve a movie. Oh, okay. Like <laughs> I just did. No, I do. I, mean, I do think that one of the major problems with this movie is uh, our our ostensible lead uh Buddy. is is the charisma black oh yeah, yeah. Of the, the film. Uh, well when the he has the amount of like sexual chemistry with <laughs> fancy as say like the chemistry between the entire cast yeah. of the movie red notice and i know you're confused fancy is not a golden retriever <laughs> fancy is the name of the female lead in the movie well the name of the of the character yes no, the name of the character it's katie strickland who apparently was on a bunch of private practice um uh, that seemed to be her uh, largest credit, but um, no, I just think fancy sounds like a show dog name to mm -hmm. me. Or and she's she's not the problem in this. I, I feel like the no, no. the putty is the problem in this. Yeah. Movie. Well, I, and there's there's a number of problems with the movie. Let's let's go through it and we'll talk about it. Okay. So we start out. Uh, it's there's a 
creepy, well-dressed woman uh, in a big house. That's <laughs> fancy. We'll find yep. out later. She buys well, some Girl Scout cookies. Uh, <laughs> she buys some Girl Scout cookies very creepily at her door. Mm-hmm. This does not play much into the rest of the movie, but I guess it just establishes that there's a creepy it's lady who— foreshadowing. It, it's foreshadowing, I guess, but we never see those cookies again. So it's not like these <laughs> oh, are Chekhov's Girl Scout <laughs> cookies. <laughs> You're like, what's going on with those Thin Mints? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's your that's uh, your go-to, or is it Samoa's? I like a Samoa. Uh, I just yeah. thought that Thin Mint was like I guess a more yeah. accessible comedy yeah. choice. I mm-hmm. don't know. That's fair. That's very fair. Uh, and do they still call them Samoa's? Uh... That's a good question. Google it. Okay, audience at home, Google it and write into us at do they still call it Samoa's? <laughs> care of the care of the Flophouse, Dan's real address, Brooklyn, New York, uh, United States of America. I, mean, I guess that is anyway, my real address. Yeah. Yeah. So uh so that then then it's nighttime. We see that it's nineteen eighty-eight. And mm-hmm. a thief is breaking into the house of how do, Nicolas Cage. How do we Cage. see that? Do we see it because they're watching a TV show that's only on, on in 1988? Yeah, are they no, doing it's just Rubik's the word, cube or the something? numbers, the numbers 1988 <laughs> okay. appear on screen. Okay. That's the extent of it. Uh, <laughs> and later on, and I guess the TVs we see are all tube TVs. Um, mm-hmm. And the, and uh, nobody answers I, actually, his cell phone. Nobody has a cell phone. Nobody Googles anything. Uh, nobody has a digipad, yeah. you know? By the way, I want to make it clear. I know that Sounds Rubik's horrible. Cube is an earlier 80s thing, but... But they were I, still around. It was it was, it was. was like, you know, I feel like that's the lazy movies uh, way of showing you that you're in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Nicholas, Nicholas Cage, who will later learn is Walter. He's and also... So I forgot at a certain point this movie was set in the 80s, and he starts talking about being in Vietnam, and I was like... There's no way he's old enough to have been in Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait a second. This movie's set in the 80s. Uh, so uh, that night, a thief breaks into Walter's house. He gets up in his bathrobe and pajamas and takes he opens a gun up out. His, he opens up his bedside drawer that has only, like, a few items of jewelry and yeah. a pistol. <laughs> and a loaded pistol. Uh, and he goes down and he tells the thief, you just broke into the wrong house. The thief, they start fighting. The thief escapes. Uh, but as he is about to jump over the fence and get away from uh, the property, Nicolas Cage shoots him in the back from a distance, thus uh, maybe killing him. We don't and, know. And he does a little bit of banter, right? It, it's a little bit of like like a little like most dangerous game shit here, huh? Yes. The implication seems to be – the implication later on seems to be that they like lured him in somehow, but mm-hmm. we never see that, this thief. It just yeah. It's just a random thief. It's it's not James Caan from the movie Thief. Uh, you don't hear any music from Tangerine Dream. It's just uh, – it's just a regular, regular old thief in a very recognizable hoodie. Okay, cut two. Buddy, our hero, uh, played by Luke Benward, uh, and you'll have to know if you ever need to go north, just uh, notice which star is pointing Benward, and that's the way that you want to go. <laughs> uh, so he's being interrogated by, that's right, Kelsey Grammer, who is just just chomping off pieces of this southern fried steak that he's got like and i mean that metaphorically like his he's so there's a part where there's this line where later on he's like where do you think you are new york la uh-huh. this is grand Isle. what, it's like, it's what like, is wow. a ute <laughs> how many r's did he stuff into the word grand isle and this thing, he's uh, it's just he's really uh he's he's really doing it doing it up uh kelsey Grammer. I assumed all of the scenes were shot in one location the same day, but he shows up at the end of the movie in a second location. So uh-huh. he might have been there for two days. And he's like, 
uh, oh, the, he says, uh, you've been arrested for murder. And I thought it, it was so – it took me so long to realize that Buddy was not supposed to be the thief from the first scene. Yeah. Like it's not super clear uh, because you've been arrested for murder. You got to tell me what happened because right now you're going to take – you're going to the chair. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a French flashback. French fried potatoes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's a sling blade and so mm-hmm. forth. Uh Buddy is uh, trying to – he's trying to interest a guy who's just trying to sit at a lunch counter and investing in some kind of project. We never find out what it is. The guy at the counter has no lines, but Buddy follows him into the restaurant and keeps talking to him while he looks at the menu. Uh, Buddy says, I'll talk to me about it later. Buddy then goes to see his wife and baby who are in the restaurant already (laughs) sitting at a booth. Convenient. (laughs) <laughs> you just abandoned them to <laughs> I gotta say if you if you're gonna set up your day you might as well stack it like that you know mm-hmm. it's like well I'm gonna be I'm gonna meet this guy at his office but at a certain point he's gonna get fed up with me and escape to the local diner you go to the diner and I'll meet you there uh-huh. uh, their baby is sick uh, which is identified by it coughing sometimes uh-huh. uh, and they need money buddy refuses to let his wife work uh, and they haven't had sex in six months, which becomes a big plot point because, she, you know, she's still dealing with having had a baby. Uh, she uh, she seems to be dealing with some kind of postpartum depression, very common. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of tension between them because he has not gotten his beak wet in in six months, you know. Wow, so, sure. <laughs> his beak. <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, I, that's, I, I was assumed that – I assumed he was uncircumcised. And so it was more of a more of a beak than a well, circumcised a beak penis. Man. A beakman's yeah. world. If you would <laughs> exactly. Was that what beakman's world was about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big surprise, right? Man. Yeah, that's what Beekman Place in New York is named after, penises. <laughs> so uh, – Buddy, he goes to fix the – he gets hired to fix the fence at Nicolas Cage's house. Uh, and Nicolas Cage is just kind of chuckling, lighting a cigar. Nicolas Cage <laughs> always has a cigar either in his mouth or about to go in his oh, mouth boy, in this movie. Oh, boy, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's the fence that the thief broke and Nicolas Cage, they they uh, they banter over, over <laughs> how uh, Nicolas Cage is an ex-Marine and Buddy was in the Navy uh, and how much he's going to pay him for the fence if he can get it done today. And meanwhile, Nicolas Cage's wife, Fancy – uh, mm-hmm. whose real name is – What do you remember what her – it was like Francine something something, oh. but they call her Fancy. I missed that um, part. And I got to okay. say, these two are totally giving off that like me and my wife saw you at the end of the bar and we're like your vibe energy, you know? Like yeah. Nicolas Cage has his button down, button down a little bit too far. And uh, yeah. Fancy well, is Cage very, is- uh, very – I guess explicit in her overtures, right? I mean, yeah, it, it's, like they're constantly arguing with each other, Nicholas Cage's wife, but but in that way that it feels like maybe it's part of their sex game. To, it's to a real like, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf yeah. type mm-hmm. type. It's like who's afraid of Virginia? Who who's afraid of Virginia Wall? Because <laughs> it's the South, you know. Because it's Louisiana. Uh-huh. <laughs> who's who's afraid of Doctor John? That's the of, name of the lot of Virginia Woolf's out in that swamp. <laughs> oh well, well, we gotta see what a dump. Oh, what movie? What movie is that from? I don't know. Anyway, so. The, uh, his wife is singing uh, and wearing lingerie because it's their anniversary, but he forgot. And she gets mad and slaps him. And he's like, don't make me mad. And she goes, if you're a real man, you'd hurt me. And that kind of, and then and he's like, she's like, you don't have the balls. So it's one of those relationships where it's not healthy. It's not a healthy relationship. <laughs> oh, okay. I guess cool. is what I'm saying. <laughs> I guess a healthy marriage is not built on threats and challenges. <laughs> you know? Like it is good for your spouse, your partner to challenge you, to make you think new ways, mm-hmm. to get you out of your comfort zone sometimes, but not to challenge you to hit them or, or <laughs> like a show you're a real uh-huh. man. That's, why, yeah, I to a duel. My, that's yeah. why I am still in love with my partner, the Dark Souls franchise. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
You're saying it does challenge you in the right ways? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was such a beautiful ceremony when you and Dark Souls got married. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And the dancing. Course, it had to be in Croatia, the only country where a video game and a person can get married. But, you know, but oh, that's going to change with meta and everything. So, And uh, I don't need to tell you guys, but the wedding night was spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why don't you need to tell us? I don't Were need we to there? <laughs> I don't need to tell you. Yeah, because he was Twitch camera. streaming the whole thing. Yeah. Twitch streaming it. <laughs> Speed running it. I don't have to tell you because you because you watched my YouTube cut down of the night, <laughs> but it was spectacular. Uh, so Buddy's fixing the fence. The wife is drinking. The TV news talks about how there's there's a missing teen, which we know is that thief. There's a big storm coming, um, and you can tell that she's got her eye on Buddy. Uh, she's got her mind set on him. And uh, they have kind of kindergarten level flirting and innuendo. <laughs> it's like <laughs> like even a kid would be like, "Are you?" Try, you just talking about sex right now? Well, I, I love how um, like how like aggressive she is. <laughs> he's he's not even like he's not even really playing it dumb or anything. He's just like, what? Okay, <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, it's like not too far from the Pete da- like reoccurring Pete Davidson sketch on Saturday Night Live, where he's just like a dumb guy who keeps getting flirted with. He just like agrees to everything. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, there's a real there's a real opening couple minutes to a porn video energy between the two of them. Yes. You know, there's not not so it's like not sexual tension so much as it is like making an appointment for sex at some point later in the movie. Yeah. Uh, and Fancy even says at one point, I always loved the calm before the storm. And it's like, <laughs> come on, come mm-hmm. on, movie. Um, he hits his finger with a hammer because he's distracted watching because he hates to see your love leave, <laughs> but he loves to watch her go. He was he was watching her. Her butt as she walks away, and uh-huh. he yeah. he decides to take that moment to nail in the hammer, <laughs> nail in the yeah. hammer and the nail. Like uh-huh. you know, like, these are two things that can be done sequentially. <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> well, he, but he's got to get that fence done today if <laughs> he's going to make whack. that money. So he's got to yeah. multitask. <laughs> I got to save these <laughs> two seconds and not look at my hand. He's, He's yeah, like, rise I need, and grind, I need, baby. <laughs> well, but it's also like he needs – like in the movies when they need a, uh, to keep the caller on the line so they can trace where the call's coming from. He's like, uh, still downloading this image into, into Spank Bank. Deposit not finished. Deposit not finished. <laughs> Ow. Oh, oh, I was so close. 99%. Um, anyway, she gives him a Band-Aid and she kisses his thumb. Nicolas Cage walks in and it's tense. And he and Fancy just keep trying to get a rise out of each other. This is going to happen the whole movie. Uh Nicholas Cage, he's drinking. He starts shooting beer bottles off the fence with a sniper <laughs> rifle right off the roof right next yep. to where Buddy is. And Buddy, understandably, gets mad. He should report <laughs> it to OSHA. This is not a safe workplace if your boss is shooting beer bottles next to your head. You know, it reminds me of uh, Dan, were you there? Was this during your time at The Daily Show where there was a dartboard set up next to my head above my desk? Where uh, uh, was this before you joined? I think by the time I got there, it was in that little alcove. Uh, it was by the emergency exit. It was by which the was still emergency not great. exit that was constantly filled with chairs. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, so such people- that the the woman in charge of the the space had to keep going back, being like, "You can't put these chairs here." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a fire exit. Yeah, there's my my then uh, my then uh, office partner Sam Means, who's a great television writer uh he he loves british pub culture so he wanted to get a dartboard in our office but i mm-hmm. guess the only place to put it because his framed pictures were on the other wall was on the wall next to where my head is and so i would have to work while the other writers would come in and throw darts at the, at the board and i'm being a nice guy so i would, i just 
gritted my teeth and white knuckled it through my scripts while darts almost hit me in the head. And then when I moved to a different office and another writer took that room, she was like, this is not happening. And they moved the dartboard to the emergency exit area. But it's, it's a little bit like that. It's not safe. Also, Sam is such a sweet, gentle man that it's, it's, it's surprising to me to think about him like not, not realizing the danger he's putting you in. I think he just didn't think about it. He was yeah. just so excited about, about, about setting up that dartboard and making it like a real – like the writer's offices in the movies and the TV shows. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. where there's games and where stuff. people are throwing pencils at the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Oh, fun stuff like that. <laughs> yep. Uh, so the storm is arriving. Buddy's barely done any work fixing the fence, which is ridiculous. He's been working on it all day. And uh, Nicholas Cage is like, I'm not going to pay you. I told you to finish it in one day. And Buddy wants to leave, but his truck won't start. Uh oh. And uh, we learn that. Yeah, we we briefly have him talk to Kelsey Grammer. We learned that he was a, a thief as a teen. He robbed a he robbed a store. Kelsey and, Grammer uh, was no no, the, <laughs> but he was. Kelsey Grammer's like you must have killed those people. You got arrested for robbing a store once when you were a kid. He's like it's like that seems like a big ramping up, yeah, but. Yeah. Uh, Buddy goes back to the house. He says, Nicholas Cage, can I borrow your car? And Nicholas Cage goes, no. <laughs> he says, he says, so you leave your truck here and you get to take my Mustang? I don't think so. He says, get comfy. Uh, and Buddy calls his wife, who is justifiably annoyed that she's going to have to ride out a hurricane with a crying baby. Or her husband is having a great time dealing with the violent sexual tension of this horrible couple. Mm-hmm. Um, guys, how would you ma- how would you apologize to your wife over the phone for the fact that you're not there with her during a hurricane because you're busy being in like a, a Z grade erotic thriller? I mean, I think at this point, uh, you know, at this point, I don't think he's done anything wrong. You know, he's just flirted a bunch, nailed shit poorly. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, I went. I would be like, honey, I'm sorry. I've been caught in a web of deceit and seduction. I I don't know how to get out of it. Yeah. Yet. And, and like, I mean, granted, he knew when he put on that sleeveless shirt that he was going to be attracting mm-hmm. some undue attention from this couple. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it, it's a difficult thing because obviously I understand, you know, not wanting to be alone with a sick baby in a hurricane. But, but also he, you know, he, like Nicolas Cage has set him up so to trap him here for a hurricane and there's not like... You know he can't he can't get to her safely. It's it's you know it's one of those yeah, situations you, you, you enter into where like no one's totally right. You just gotta say you're sorry. So yeah, Dan, you're like the buddy in this in this situation, right? I can see you as kind of that guy. You like you're like a guy who's good with his hands, and you're uh, just helping out, and then you get you get uh, yeah. tricked or swindled into some kind of homo uh, uh, not homoerotic. Well, maybe I mean there's I some mean, interesting. There's a little bit of that, I think. I yeah. see myself more as the sick baby. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. I think yeah, Stewart's the buddy. I'm probably uh what uh Kelsey Grammer and I think yeah. and Dan's the I gotta tell baby. you, okay. and if I was in Buddy's position, I'd probably do the same dumb shit. <laughs> <laughs> so uh Buddy joins them for dinner of meatloaf and fancy t- not the singer, but eating the food. And it's not like Rocky Horror where it where the <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and uh, fancy he he tells the story. She tells the story about how she and Nicolas Cage met. She and Walter met, and she actually has the line: "He was an alluring mix of strength, courage, and hope." Which is like, mm-hmm. don't read the stage directions. Come on, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and they they keep hinting at like a secret backstory that the movie never really quite digs out. Yeah, there's lots of tension, and uh, Nicolas Save Cage it for chooses, the sequel or the prequel. Mm. Yeah, the prequel. The, the, fr- the prequel. <laughs> uh, he, but uh, Walter accuses Buddy of wanting to have sex with his wife, and she's being all sultry. And this, there's a moment here where Nicholas Cage where gets makes up that, from his that amazing line. 
That's where he says that amazing line where he, Nicolas Cage cannot even believe the words coming out of his mouth. <laughs> like, it's like, he's like, he like spits the words out as if he's like, I got to get these out quick or my brain will stop me from saying them. <laughs> or if he and, puts a big uh, enough pause between cock and suck to feel like there won't like be a correlation anymore. Like maybe it'll fly past anymore. the censors. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It, maybe it'll sound like two different thoughts, and and uh, and, and, the, and the people at uh, at, uh, at standards yeah. and practices won't stop me from you're, saying it. You're around, you're allowed one non-sexual cock in in your movie, so and that's how they got that G rating. Uh, that's why this is on Disney Plus. So yeah. uh, and then he gets up from his chair so amazingly loudly, mm-hmm. and uh, like I don't know if you guys if this struck you guys, but he gets up from his chair super fast, and it, it, the chair almost sounds like it's cracking to pieces <laughs> under the force of him wanting to escape this scene. <laughs> so badly um nicholas cage passes out in front of the tv fancy briefly shows buddy around the house they see the basement door has multiple locks on it and she teases him that there are very bad things down there and then they go to her favorite room which is full of weird little dolls and normally when i normally find when i find a in a creepy southern gothic house that has a a door to the basement with a shitload (laughs) of locks i'm like okay i'm gonna have to go through all these fucking puzzles to find all this shit so i can open it (laughs) then i'll have a fucking boss fight or something (laughs) guys i just Look, I, I watched this movie. You know, you know. I think we all often for the flop house end up watching these movies in segments, not like super frequently for me, but not always, I, I, I always every, every single time for me. Yeah, uh, if it's not a live show, I watched it in segments. This yeah. one, I watched the first half last night and the second half this morning, and. I just now remembered the scene we're about to get to, and I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like maybe, I, well, I want you to talk about this. So, in this one, it's she changes to a screen. She's talking about how hot it is because, of yeah. course, it's the South, and mm-hmm. she's becoming the old lady who likes Tintin. Um, and she, <laughs> so she says she's barren; she can't <laughs> have children, and starts telling him about her fantasy of having sex with a younger man. And she keeps she she's sitting next to him, and she's like. Anyway, then he would kiss my breasts. Should I keep going? And he's like, uh, yeah, okay. And she's like, then he'd kiss my my, t- my stomach, then down my leg. Should I keep going? He's like, uh, okay. And she's like, and it's, yeah. And and he and what is she doing? She's like running it, her hands on his well, leg or something like so, that. It all happens. It's happening at such a glacial pace. And but I appreciate that she's acting, asking his consent every step every of time. the way. It's so great. if yeah. I recall correctly, then what happens next is that like, you know, he gets spooked. He realizes maybe I shouldn't cheat on my wife. He like gets up. He trips onto the ground. And he trips because yeah. he all the blood that's normally in his head had rushed to his engorged boner. <laughs> yeah. So there was the, he got lightheaded immediately. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, his sense of balance was totally thrown off by how much, <laughs> yeah. much, how much, how much harder his there. penis was than normal. Yeah. So yeah. Nicolas Cage hears this, you know, this wakes him up downstairs. He very slowly walks upstairs. <laughs> and, so slowly. And very slowly ends up like, the south, baby. Sta- like being behind the door. Meanwhile, like the, our our hero, I guess we, we can call him, is on the ground, and Fancy puts her stiletto, gold stiletto heels, her gold stiletto heel, on his crotch. And at first, I was like, "Is she going to do some like crushing action here? Is that his? Mm, yeah, is that yeah, her is kink? That kink? Is yeah. like, is she gonna stomp on those yeah, testes?" But no. What happens? <laughs> Dan, don't ever say that again. Making wine, yeah. <laughs> what happens is. The stiletto uh, tip, like she <laughs> she puts it underneath his uh, his button on his pants. Is yeah, uh-huh. she f- flips her her leg up with such force <laughs> that the button. <laughs> 
size up. She, and now he's wearing denim jeans. Gen- She's able to pop the button off of hot, denim guys. jeans. Genuinely <laughs> hot. That was amazing. And like the button like flies so it's almost under the doorway so Nicolas Cage could see it. Mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage who's like lingering outside the door but not opening the door ever. <laughs> no, no. And she managed she also like she managed to uh open his fly with her stiletto heel. Amazing. It's a it's a great scene. <laughs> Should have won the Academy Award for scenes that year. The Academy Award for most improbable sexiness. Where it's like, it. there's no, none of this makes any sense. Like how, just imagining the physics involved in the leverage she would need to mm-hmm. tear the to tear the button off of a pair of jeans uh-huh. with her the heel. Yeah, I'm her sure shoe, you guys were just using like me. just her ankle. Just, just her ankle strength. I was like watching this on the couch, and I had to take one of those couch cushions and put it over my crotch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I made a point not to stand up too quickly, or else I would have fallen over. Mm. Yeah. The, but they, this was this was a moment. Yeah, this moment. It was like it really felt. I mean, we've said this before for other movies where like an alien doesn't really know how humans <laughs> do things, and they're try, They're like, what? The, what an alien is like. What is sexy? Uh, well, I think this would this, do it, yeah, right? Nailed this it. is high heels like, are sexy, like, and high heels are sexy, and like buttons sexy. popping <laughs> off of things. I guess crotches are sexy, and so what? If, <laughs> just the idea that you would like unzip, uh, unzip a pair of pants with with the heel of a shoe is. Love it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Thumbs they up. don't get caught. Nicholas Cage, like the mummy, just wanders <laughs> through the hallways and, and lingers outside, and then and then walks away. Uh, Buddy's sleeping on the couch, all curled up like a little baby. Uh, the storm wakes him up. Uh-oh, Nicholas Cage is sitting there with a gun. He takes him to the attic. They talk about death and gratitude. Nicholas Cage talks about how when he was in Vietnam, he got injured in a friendly fire grenade accident, uh, which meant he didn't get to go in country with his squad, and they were all wiped out. And ever since then, he's always regretted either not saving them or not dying with them. Uh, and Buddy talks about his experience as a sailor on the real ship, the USS Stark, which was attacked by um, by an Iraqi fighter jet in 1987 and how his best friend was on the ship with him and he tried to save him and he, and he couldn't and he died. And Nick, that's when Nicolas Cage throws a bag with $20,000 in cash in on the floor and says, hey – Fancy has cancer. Can you kill her so she she doesn't die slowly of cancer? Here's some cyanide. Just get her to get her to drink it, I guess. And uh, he said, and, and you can do it. Rag and stuff it in her face. Yeah, he does. Yeah. A, he does a great move that I actually missed. And Audrey like made me rewind to see, and I I don't regret uh, spending an extra minute in Grand Isle to see this, where she's like, put it on, huh? 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 And he like does a little like <laughs> yeah, yeah, all, little mime, all, little mime of all three steps, but um. And, yeah. and and Buddy takes almost no time in being like, okay. Yeah, this is a part of the movie where I'm like, all right, hold on, movie. <laughs> I'll buy this uh, popping off of the button with the, the high heels. But <laughs> so <laughs> this guy, Nicholas Cage. I'll buy that Buddy's jeans are so worn in <laughs> that that button is barely attached. The thread is is worn through. They can just that, pop that thing off the, with anyway. That, that denim is stretched so tightly that just the slightest <laughs> shift will yeah, cause it to what's fall. going on. Yeah, because he's so uh, aroused. Yeah. No, but like, but the idea that Nick Cage, who has been nothing but like nothing but trouble. belligerent to this man, like just like awful to him the whole time, uh, is gonna try and convince uh, him to kill his wife, like claiming that she's sick. And the guy is going to immediately be like, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Rather than being like, uh, can I talk to her about whether she's sick or like, you also <laughs> seem like an asshole. Like what, what's going on here? I mean, he, saw, point- he saw those stacks, dude. He saw yeah. the 20, 20 grand in the bag. 
I mean, he needs that money, and also at this point, he's probably just wants to get out of that house. Yeah. So well, it's later like, on, yeah, what do I is, need to say to get out of this house? It is implied that he's mostly just like trying to play along with whatever happens because he, he's freaked out. But it is not particular. Like, I don't know. It just seems like the, this uh, guy drifts think, from whatever. Think <laughs> like, of the pants button he can buy with that twenty grand. <laughs> He's like, well, I do need some money to repair my pants, <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, I, denim tailoring is harder to get around here. Yeah. Uh, this is when, so this is when I think the movie officially shifts, shifts into what I would call lugubrious territory, <laughs> where Fancy is just hanging out in a bath, drinking and listening to Strange Fruit, which is an interesting choice because it is, mm-hmm. it's because it's, it's a protest song about lynching. Like it's not a sexy song. It, it was a, uh, it was a very upsetting choice, and also like she explains the history of it briefly, and then the movie continues and it's like, what, why do you, why did you think this was a point you needed to make movie, a movie not about race relations in any way? No, it definitely de-sexifies the moment quite a yeah. bit, which is maybe what they wanted. Maybe the movie was in danger of getting too yeah. sexy. They're like, too we're in the red zone. We're in the red zone. Yeah. Let's remind everybody about America's violent history of racial injustice. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. We you did. You might it. have a blowout we, if you stay in the red zone too long. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't want the audience members genitalia to just explode from, yeah. <laughs> from the, from the pent up passion that they're, that they're viewing. All those um, anyway, off. they talk about their childhoods and she talks about how sad she is. And then they start kissing, mm-hmm. uh, back to the interrogation room. Uh, he, uh, he, uh, Kelsey Grammer's like, you started, do, what, what were you thinking? Uh, making love to this woman's man's wife and he's right there. And he was like, look, I felt like I had to hit them against each other to survive. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's not, you would say pit them against each other, right? Like not, where he says hitting them against each other. Anyway, yeah. he says it, he, he means to say pitting, but it, he says it in a weird way. But so also I to, like was listening to that. I'm like, okay, Kelsey Grammer, what, what is making you, mad in this scenario is it the <laughs> yeah. murder is it the fact that you committed adultery or is it the fact that you this guy committed adultery while nicholas cage was around because it seems like that's the part that like bothered Look, him it why does it have to be one or the other i think it's yeah. kelsey Grammer's a church going man as he says it could be any of those things that's true yeah so um, you're doing so, adultery wrong you're stacking that up them in- sins <laughs> <laughs> we trying to shoot the moon with commandments <laughs> now uh so the back to the interrogation so back to we realize that interrogation scene is just there so that they don't have to show the sex scene can we come we come back and they are lying on the ground in a post-coital embrace buddy and, and I, fancy it's kind of weird because like i didn't get the vibe that this was a the kind of situation that would necessitate a cuddle afterwards <laughs> <laughs> i mean the fact buddy is, wasn't giving so me little- big cuddler energy afterwards you no, know and there's so little there's so little there's so little sexual chemistry between them that the fact that they're having sex at all feels so like pro forma for both of them. Yes. It just feels like this is what we're supposed to do with this part of the movie, I guess. So yeah, the fact that they're like hugging when, they, when it gets back is surprising. And Fancy's giving a lot and he's not giving much. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Maybe he's just not that into her, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, Fancy, I mean. you, we know, well, we can tell that Fancy's not great at picking guys because look at who she ended up with, Walter. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe Fancy, although we'll later find out that Fancy is some, is a monster. So I guess, <laughs> so sure, maybe I shouldn't true. sympathize with her at this point. Uh, but, you know, maybe she just needs the, she needs the right partner or perhaps she just needs some time by herself oh, to find wow. out who she is. Because yeah, <laughs> yeah. if you don't love yourself, no one's going to love you for the right reasons either. Yeah, if only, anyway, she'd, uh, if yeah. only she'd heard that before she started walking down this terrifying path. Yeah, this lonely road, uh, the only road that she's ever Here known. She goes again on her own. <laughs> yeah, uh, so she finds the poison, <laughs> the cyanide that, that Walter gave him, I guess just kind of rolled out <laughs> while they were having sex. He wasn't very she careful with that it, cyanide, yeah. And she's like, I don't have cancer. And he's like, oh, your, your husband said I, I should kill you. <laughs> and, uh, and she seems kind of unfazed. She's just like, yeah, okay, I'll handle that. <laughs> And uh, and Nicholas Cage is is is, uh, 
he's got full on crazy face at this point, but he's also he's hammering wood onto the windows in the in on the inside for the storm. But he's like, and I, I, maybe this is how you do it. Instead of hammering the boards on individually, he has big pre-made wooden board screens that he is holding up to the window and then hitting and then nailing in that way. Is that how you do it when there's a hurricane coming? I mean, I, mean, I, I, I think in, in like that, places that the deal with have regular, regular hurricanes. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Because I was I did not knowing it, I wasn't sure if it was just a prop thing that they, we weren't supposed to see was one big piece, or if that's actually how you do it. If that's how you do it, then Walter, I apologize for for doubting you. Anyway, she comes over and sweet talks him, which is just mm-hmm. a preamble to stabbing him in the hand. And it's great. <laughs> they get in, and they get into a fight. Uh, he tries to force Buddy to poison her at gunpoint. Then he ends up fighting with Buddy. Buddy punches him a lot, really hard in the face. These are big, wet punches, uh-huh. and the storm has gotten so bad now. Buddy ties up Nicolas Cage, and he's like, I want to leave. And Fancy's like, take me with you. I want to get out of here. And Nicolas Cage is like, mm, she's got a secret. Yeah. Why don't you tell him your secret, Fancy? Well, <laughs> so, like, Nicolas Cage has been stabbed, beat up, and, like, tied to a banister. And then Fancy's all up on Buddy, and she's like... Fuck me again. Make me come in front of him. And I'm yeah. like, she lady, that's exactly read the what fucking she says. room here. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like at this point, it's the, it's the, it's the, this is the, this is the point in an improv scene where the game has been lost and, and no one's quite, and no one's run across the stage to end the scene yet. So they're just kind of trying to figure out where to go with it next. Yeah. So Nicolas Cage is like, she's got a dark secret. And his fancy's like, uh, let's, let's do it right here. And Buddy's like, I just want to get paid for this fence. Like none of them can it's agree like, on what the premise like, is. I don't care about the secret. I just want to. <laughs> Which, to be fair, if I was him, there's no reason why he should care about that secret. Just get out of there. I don't know. Um, and we all know Dan being naturally curious by nature would be very interesting. I mean, secret. I'm curious about the secret, but that's because I'm watching a movie where it's so clear that there's going to be a secret that's revealed at some point. <laughs> yes. So I but, want him to stay. But if Nicolas Cage but, wanted to, like, you know, yeah, trap him with the secret, he could have brought the secret up a little earlier. In the like, I mean, like normally last- if I ever need to trap Dan, I just put on a, a VHS copy of secrets of the mass magician and Dan can't stop watching. <laughs> I'm so drawn to secrets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Director Skinner, stop. <laughs> the magician's guild is going to take you out. <laughs> so the... Uh, the uh, so but now they're just trying things to keep him there for some reason because then Nicolas Cage is like, hey, if you you should kill me now or else I'll kill your whole family. I'll come for you, but you should first see what's in that basement. And Fancy's like, don't go into the basement. And uh, it's I, if I yeah, was buddy, she's like, children just shouldn't walk play out with of the house. Things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, well, but, like so. Like oh, buddy, just just buddy, just leave. Instead, buddy goes down the basement. And uh, let me just tell you real quick that uh. Uh, Fancy shoots at him. The power goes out because of the storm, and he runs, and she unties Nicolas Cage, and she's, like, laying it on a little thick with the secrets, and he's like, did you have to stab me so much? And yeah. it's like, uh, they, they at that point, the movie is not even pretending that, that this is not, a, like, some game they've set up. Yes, you know? except for... None of that makes sense once everything's revealed. Uh-huh. Like That's true. There's no, like, metagame that appears to have been playing in that way. Like, the only thing I can think of is... At that point, they have to work together because they'll be implicated together in what is eventually revealed. I mean, it's really but, a, it's really on Walter for giving Buddy the idea of going into exactly, the basement. Like, you know? None of this part makes any sense. <laughs> Although I guess they're, they, he's hoping we'll get him into the basement, we'll trap him in there, just mm. like we've trapped other people, spoiler alert, because Buddy finds the thief from the beginning of the movie. He's like got an IV in him that's, I guess, keeping him sedated. He's all weak. And the thief is like, there's more like me in here. There's some kind of 
kidnapping dungeon in the in the basement of the house. There's a lot of fighting and running around the house. They, Buddy goes up to the attic for some reason uh, and and fights Nicolas Cage there. Uh, Fancy knocks out Buddy. Buddy wakes up in his truck covered in blood, and the thief's body is there, and the police show up. They arrest him. He's being interrogated for the murder of the thief. And that we saw the beginning. Yeah. Not James Yeah, we Conn. saw the beginning. Not James Caan, not any other thieves from uh, the many great thieves, thieves, <laughs> thieves of, of, of movie making. He's, not, it's not, uh, it's not, not Bob LaFlimbeur. <laughs> yeah, it's not Rafifi. No, not Robin Hood. It's not Arsene Lupin or even Lupin the Third. Oh, wow. <laughs> none of these, none of these characters. None of these famous thieves. It's not Raffles, the Cat gentleman Woman. thief. Yeah, it's not, it's not Catwoman or any of the other, any of the other great supervillain thieves. You know, Danny yeah. Danny Ocean. Uh, no. <laughs> none of the, none of these great thieves. None of them. Yeah. It's not the guys from Going Out in Style. <laughs> it's not, it's not the silent thieves partner like dressed us. as Santa Claus. It's not thieves like us. It's not. It's not. Uh, they live by night. It's not any of those. Yeah, or they drive by night. I can't. Oh no, they drive by night. It's about truckers. So it's not. It's not any of these thieves. Drive by Don't truckers? think it's. And it's not someone from Thebes. It's not Edifice. It's not. You know, none of that stuff. I, so. So the, yeah, so the the police. <laughs> oh, and this and this is when and this is when uh when Buddy is like, I want my my phone call to my lawyer, and and Kelsey Grammer is like, Where do you think you are? You're on Grand House. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I want to object to this this scene here too because this is where Kelsey Grammer. Look, we all know that like they're like shitty uh, cops uh, everywhere, and particularly uh, like. One is uh, happy to believe, or not happy to believe, but will believe it, uh, in some small backwater place. Like there's there's a guy who's gonna railroad you for a crime that you didn't commit. Like I'm not saying that that is <laughs> that is any way unbelievable, but the way that Kelsey Grammer, Dan, are you alienating our small but loyal fan base of small town corrupt <laughs> detectives? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think. I'm just saying that, like the the way that Kelsey, they're, 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 a, they're a minority of listeners, but they're a very vocal minority. Those those mm-hmm. corrupt small town detectives. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm just I'm saying that sure, it's believable <laughs> that someone might get railroaded for a crime they didn't commit. The way that Kelsey Grammer is doing it, like, seems so half-assed for the amount that he seems to actually believe it himself. Because he's like, he's like. I believe that what happened is uh, you went out and you had sex with this man's wife. And then you, because you're a a violent veteran, you found this unrelated man and you killed him. And I have no motive for this. And uh, there's nothing linking you to the crime other than you woke up beaten next to the body. But there's no other (laughs) physical evidence or a murder weapon or anything. What what, what what gets me, Dan, is that is that he seems to believe the whole that's story the that Buddy yeah. is telling. Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's like... When there's no it, evidence it, it, of it, that, there's only evidence it, of yes. dead body and truck. <laughs> if, if Kelsey Grammer could say, this is all bullshit. You, there's no fancy. I mean, he there's wouldn't, no say, fancy he wouldn't say bullshit. He'd say like hog swallow or something. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Be like, this, this is, this is, <laughs> there's a lot of honey butter going on in this turnhouse. <laughs> like that's what he'd say, something like that. But, and then, and but like, he's like, okay, I buy your story until the part where you say you didn't kill this guy. But everything up till then, say, yes, that's God's <laughs> yeah. honest truth. Yeah, I understand so that. When do you get to the part where you would look at your Yourself in a moiter. <laughs> Mr. Soze, I believe everything you said, except for at the end, you are the killer. <laughs> oh man, you got me. Well, him. you got me, but yeah, you, got you did there get wrong. me, but the wrong way. I mean, you, I see your math, but it's the wrong math, but it brought you to the right answer somehow. 
Anyway, arrest him. Oh, On what man. charges? I'll tell you the story. Oh man! If only, if only the fucking the test audiences had felt that way by usual suspects that they had to just arrest him at the end. <laughs> like he like gets into he gets into a lim- uh, like a car and there's somebody there slapping handcuffs on. <laughs> oh, man. The driver t- Pete Postlewaite turns around and puts a gun in his face and goes, "You're under arrest. I was undercover all this time." Uh, yeah, it's a that, there. There must be. I guarantee a studio executive at one point was like, "Why doesn't it end with you? Why don't you then show a scene of him getting stopped, getting on a plane or something?" And they and they throw him in jail. You know, mm-hmm. happy endings. Uh, grand Grand Isle though to get to return to the movie that we're talking about. This you mean Grand Isle. <laughs> This, uh, as soon as they leave... You know, I was just an aisle, and then my kids have kids. Now my grand aisle. <laughs> as soon as oh, they shit. leave the flashback portion <laughs> of the movie, uh, which, by the way, uh, Audrey pointed out that everything that we're seeing earlier in the movie is ostensibly this flashback, although there are plenty of scenes where Buddy was not <laughs> in the room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I, mean, I don't is, know what is, he's uh, telling Kelsey Grammer it, at those times, but... It is he's the got to choose up his Ryan story. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that Buddy, Buddy was... Maybe Buddy, Buddy's like, oh, in this part, I was uh, hiding in a closet, so I heard yeah. this part. Or yeah. there but was a vent. Soon, uh, I was in the bathroom, <laughs> but there, I could hear through a vent when they were plotting against me, you know? As soon as the, as the flashback ends and we enter... Uh, present day, act, the movie act three, let's call the it the movie, <laughs> which you know has been shaky but enjoyable up until this point, really f- flies off the rails. So this is the part where now this is the movie has been. I'll give it this. I did not like this movie, but I and I think it was. I think it was the. Uh, the uh, ever greater sense of grime and and moral corruption of the universe that it was mm. pouring yeah, onto me. Good stuff. But, yeah, but it's, <laughs> it's a heavy but, uh, weight for you to carry, Elliot. But I'm glad you did it. It is. But boy, I'm gonna carry that weight a long time. Mm-hmm. But uh, and so the that that this point, it, it's been a pretty tight movie up till now. Minimal locations, minimal characters. Yeah, this is when the movie is like, uh, uh, we kind of don't know what happens next in this movie. Yeah. Uh, and it reminds me, of, there's the story that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck have told about how they wrote like 40 different endings for Goodwill Hunting because they mm. weren't quite sure what to do with it. And so they had an ending where. Then Affleck's character gets killed in a work accident. They had a char- an ending where Robin Williams' character somehow becomes a construction foreman and becomes their boss. Like they really didn't know, according to them, what they were doing. And it yeah. feels like that's what happened with this movie where they were like, uh, we have 10 different endings. Let's just pick one. Yeah. Because the movie, it kind of runs – it goes through the it, – it runs in place for a while. They send Buddy's wife in for a scene that doesn't really mean anything other than she's mad at him. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kelsey Grammer's partner sees something in an old missing persons case file that reminds her of something Buddy said. They go to Nicholas Cage's house, and Nicholas and Walter and Fancy just kind of stand around while the cops one by one go into the basement. I guess disappear for a moment. Yeah, and then I got so <laughs> mad too because like the the woman who makes the connection like leaves one cop behind to watch them, and he's a, yeah. and he's like, and she says like you know, stay on them. And he just like keeps like ducking his head to like look at something <laughs> yeah. in the hall, which like, it's not even clear what it is. He has no. literally one job, which yeah. is to keep his he's eye an, on these people. He's an easily distracted cop. Uh, <laughs> they find a kidnapped woman in the basement and uh, there's something about, they, they say something about how they wanted to expand their family. And, and Walter has an amazing getting away from a cop line. <laughs> yes. he, goes, he goes, my cat's up a tree. Can you shoot him down? <laughs> and he goes, what? He said, my cat's up a tree. Yeah. Shoot him down. And he quite punches him and runs away. <laughs> quite reasonably, the police officer says, what? <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a funny, it, and that that I believe is, I mean, I would believe that as an ad-libbed Nicholas Cage line, that they were like, just say something to distract the cop. Okay, my cat's up a tree. Can you shoot him down? And uh, 
So uh, Nicolas Cage escapes. Uh, Fancy is caught. Buddy is released, but his wife leaves him. Time passes as represented by a radio news story. Uh, we have a scene where Buddy wakes up in the middle of the night because he thought he heard something. He walks around and then he goes back to bed. It is this, The movie is like... If we keep making scenes, something will happen. Like eventually something will happen. And it does because uh, uh, Buddy is uh, – he's at the diner and uh, and we, we hear on the radio that Walter has is on the loose. Buddy sh- – they found all these – all these missing teens were found in the basement of this house. Yeah. Uh, Buddy's at the diner and Walter shows up shaved. Up to this point, he's had a head, long hair and a long beard. Mm-hmm. Shaved and in his Marines uniform. Uh-huh, which – I know from seeing Con Air that as soon as you see Nicolas Cage in a fucking uniform, shit's about to go down. You're like, yeah, Captain Corelli, watch out. That mandolin is sharp. It will cut you, sir. <laughs> is that what happens? Does he get cut by a, by a mandolin? By his mandolin, yeah. I'm assuming. I haven't seen it, Kinda but I'm assuming you, it's well, a mandolin. No, no, like it's like, no, no. Yeah, no, it's, you gotta it's be a fucking man, careful. No, no, Those things are so I'm, sharp. I'm pretty sure it's... I'm pretty oh. sure it's a guitar mandolin. It's not the uh, it's, oh, not, it's the not the cooking implement mandolin that you use for yeah for for making, for making really thin things. That doesn't make sense. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> I mean, it's a uh, mandolin super useful to have in the kitchen. You just have to wear like a chainmail <laughs> gauntlet to fucking use it, right? No, and, no, but a know. mandolin is also yeah, like a gotta... little like a it's like a little guitar. I think that's what he has. But I've never Can seen you the cut movie. Potatoes it's, it's... on a little guitar. <laughs> I mean, if you, you do, like, you smush them through, them through the... the strings. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like something that. Like uh, I think I think in one of the Marx Brothers movies they cut something by putting it through the strings of the of Harpo's harp. Like they can, it's like that, you know. That's okay, how they invented yeah. the mandolin. Uh, so anyway, uh, he he has Buddy's wife at gunpoint, and he's like playing mind games with Buddy, and he's it. The whole part doesn't really make it. He's like, I thought I found another, a brother in arms, but you're really a coward. And Buddy admits that when his ship got attacked, he left his friend to die. He didn't really try to save him. He gets Buddy at gunpoint, and the cops show up. And Walter's like, release fancy. And they're like, we can't. And Kelsey Grammer shows up. And I was like, oh, Kelsey Grammer went to a second location <laughs> yeah, for this movie. Yeah. Like that's, they maybe they put him up for a night in a hotel. Yeah. Um, and he goes, she's in a lockdown mental institution. I can't release her. And Walter is like, the system was unfair to me and my Marines. We came back and we got called names and spat on. And I'm like, movie, what movie did you turn <laughs> yeah, into? This yeah, is not yeah. the movie you started as. And Kelsey Grammer's like. Hell, we could settle this like we could have, over a beer. We could all we could just talk over a beer. And I'm like, Kelsey Grammer, you have not met this character until this point in the no, movie. Well, he's, he's Don't try- act he's like trying- <laughs> I think he's low key trying to to sell that fucking Yankee beer that Kelsey Grammer's uh, been hawking yeah. in upstate New York lately. I think <laughs> he has he some like American de-es- freedom shit. <laughs> it's trying to de-escalate the situation, but also. It's never clear to me how well-known Walter and Fancy are in this town. Yeah. I'm not sure how big a town it is, whether everyone knows everybody or whether they are weirdos. Because the way he talks to him is as if he knows who he is already. And they have a exactly. huge house, and Fancy came from money, I think. So, But anyway, uh, Walter, he draws his guns on the cops so that they'll kill him. He, although he seems very surprised when he's dying. Yeah. Like, he thought it would go a different way. I guess he thought he'd just keep killing until there was no one left on Earth and the dead would, the, the hell would be too full of the dead and they'd yeah. have to come back. Kelsey Grammer's beer is called <laughs> Faith American, by the way. Ugh. Faith American. Ugh. Well, and, and what is it? Is there a description of the flavor? What is it? Is it an IPA? Is it a lager? Is it a stout? Uh, it's a, that's the brewing company. I think they do the Faith American Ale. I'm guessing it tastes... Probably super boring and not very interesting. Yeah, there was that there was that commercial that was going around online recently where it's like two minutes long and it's scenes of Reagan and Bush and stuff and like and like the American military and we're under attack and that and that just ends and it's a and it's an ad for a wine that just has a Republican elephant on the label of the <laughs> bottle. 
And it was like, wow, this is a lot of buildup for just this this wine that was called like Freedom Wine or something. But anyway. Um, is that Freedom Wine? Then turn it up, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a lovable commercial. That was back when you could slap freedom in front of things and it wasn't in any way political or polarization because no, they're clearly like, hippies. Clearly hippies, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I guess there was, a, there was a time when freedom was about – being like a be well, you'd say, Freedom's "Hey, just Freedom, another man. Word, word for nothing left to lose." Mm-hmm, yeah, man. you were a hippie rather than a fascist. But anyway, um, so uh, <laughs> they uh, and so the the scourge of Walter has ended. Uh, Buddy reunites with his family, and they say they'll take it one day at a time. And then there's this final coda, which yeah. is baffling where the news is announcing over it, it and it's it, it puts it leaves such a bad taste in, <laughs> the news in anyone's is mouth clarifying the twist of the movie that the movie yes. was not like ineptly deployed earlier <laughs> it's all the movie is like oh wait we forgot to explain what was going on in the movie so yeah. the news so inter, intercut with shots of fancy like locking doors and and yelling or whatever it says how walter and fancy were kidnapping teen girls which we got to expand their family and forcing them to have babies, which is for years, which is horrifying. Like this is such a horrifying yeah. thing for them to yes. suddenly throw into the last thirty seconds of the movie. Like it's it, and it's where the movie. Th- I'm like, and, this is what it's. Th- and this is when I was like, this is what it's like to see a grindhouse movie because a grindhouse movie would be like, hey, you know what? We don't care. We're just gonna throw in the worst thing. Like there's we're t- totally tasteless. And you know, the news, totally tasteless scene. The news uh, anchor. Like not, it's just like something you don't usually see in one of these things in a movie where like the news anchor clarifies. The news anchor is also like editorializing too. Like I guess it goes to show you never know who your neighbors are. And I'm like movie, like you're like you're uh-huh. trying to add these couple of morals at the end about like not knowing your neighbors and also um, the way America treats its veterans and <laughs> neither of them <laughs> seems to be of a piece with the rest of the film. It's so it like it. The last, the ending of it feels like a contractual obligation for either Nicolas Cage or Kelsey Grammer <laughs> that they had, they had to have some, they had to have some point that they were making that's like their their personal bugaboo, you know? Yeah. It was hey, really uh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you? Uh, I just want to make sure everyone knows that uh, kidnapping and forced pregnancy is super yucky. <laughs> <laughs> and also, we should take care of our veterans. Anyway, Grand Isle, everyone. Good night, folks. And it's like it, it just it's such it's one of the few times I've seen a movie where I'm, at the end I'm like. Wait, did they forget what movie they were making? <laughs> and they started making another movie. Like, Is this like a very special picked, episode of Grand Isle? What? They they picked up the last twenty pages of a different script, and yeah. they were like, "Just use that, shove it in, change the names of the characters," because it's uh, it, it, anyway. We'll yeah. go to final judgments, but this movie, suffice it to say, I did not walk out a fan. <laughs> yeah. So. so what do we do now on the podcast, Dan? Uh, what we do now is we do final judgments. Um, whether this was a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie kind of like, um, I'm going to say that uh, this is like an interesting split where I would say the first two-thirds of this movie is a movie I kind of like where maybe it's not the most skillful example of this type of movie, but I have a real soft spot for like web of sexual intrigue, sweaty, southern gothic uh thriller film noir like that gumbo as you put it earlier i mean uh, it is it is very serenity in a lot of ways yeah. yeah i find that stuff very enjoyable even if it's not done at its highest level and nicholas cage is having a lot of fun and katie strickland's having a lot of fun too uh yeah they're both like swinging for the fences yeah and then oh, i would say first that- joy, and they're they are they are just 
hurling beignets and 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 lobster and the crocodile <laughs> meat all over the, or alligator meat all over the screen. Yeah, constantly. And, and then the last third of the movie, I would say, for me, was a, a good bad movie. There's a lot of distasteful stuff, as Elliot says, but if you know you're able to approach it as just some dumb movie, like it becomes so silly at that point that like I still enjoyed it. But what do you guys have to say? No, I mean, I think you're right on the money there, Dan. Like, it's that sort of thing where it's like so over the top. The the ending reveal twist is so over the top gross that it's it it becomes funny because it's so like it's so ridiculous <laughs> and horrible and like why did they do this? No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I I wish I could. I wish I could. I could like lose myself in it the way you guys have. I I it was a bad bad movie for me because it was like it was I, it was one of those things where like and I'm I'm. I'll watch lots of unpleasant movies. I'm happy with a movie that delves into, uh, you know, the horrible aspects of humanity as long as it's not just kind of like drizzling it on like with one of those sauce squirt things that they <laughs> use in fancy restaurants, you know, where they're like, mm-hmm. oh, we'll, we'll, we'll put like a we'll put like a swirl of of uh, of this of this uh, raspberry reduction. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. You can't Hell you yeah. can't add you can't add forced impregnation as a raspberry reduction at the, at the end. Uh, yeah. So it's it. I I felt like the whole movie. I was like, ugh, this movie. And then at the at the end, it was like the movie was poking me in the eye. Like the movie was like, look at all this bad stuff, and then I'll poke you in the eye after. Hey, so I'm Dan, gonna say bad, Dan, bad. What was that? What was that movie that came out that had the uh, the blonde guy home aloneing those kids who broke into his house? Uh, don't breathe. Yeah, don't watch that one either, Elliot. That's also got some for forced pregnancy gross in it. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, if it's if it's a if it's a good movie and the movie is going towards a like that kind of horror, then uh-huh. I could probably accept it. It's just like the fact that they just kind of throwed it in. It's, it's threw it in. It's like there's a scene in um in the book of Blood Meridian where they go to this horrible place and they're and it says like, oh yeah, and there's a 12 year old girl chained to a fence post, a uh, chained to a stake like an animal. And I was like, I don't like that as just a detail you're gonna throw in, like mm-hmm. just to just to just to show me how super cool, extreme, badass this place is. I mean, I mean, he's not trying to show it as badass. He's trying to show it as a horrible place. <laughs> yeah. But it yeah, was just Cormac one of those things. sitting there with his sunglasses, <laughs> staring at his fist in the rain, wearing a leather yeah, Cor- duster. Cor- Cormac McCarthy and Garth Ennis are just hanging around talking about how they can how they can sh- how they can make things real fucked up in their stories. Yeah, we got a but, couple of Chris Gaines on our hands. <laughs> <laughs> but just as the went to, I feel like when something is. When you're gonna put that much, when you're gonna put something that distasteful and and real world horrifying in, it's just hard for me to accept it as like yeah the sprinkling at the end. Like, uh, did I forget to put some paprika on this? Oh yeah yeah, and I'll put some some forced impregnation also. But so uh, anyway, so I'll say yeah. You know what? Great great movie. <laughs> just love the idea of Cormac McCarthy being like looking at his screen, like tapping his shit, be like, oh man, that's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> this will this will blow some minds. I wonder, oh, I, wonder, I wonder how the squares are gonna handle this one. Check out, check out how fucked up this. The way I don't. The way I don't use that much punctuation. The squares are gonna flip. Did it again, he sends, kid. He said he sends the drink. Bam, boom, pow. Comics aren't for kids anymore, thanks to Cormac McCarthy. Mature readers only. And he sends it to his publisher with a note that's like, D- D- "Dear editor, watch out. This one gets a little fucked up." <laughs> like, I was listening to a lot of Slipknot while I was writing this one. <laughs> oh, well, it seems like the only thing we can do is to. Uh, 
Thank our sponsors. <laughs> now imagine Cormac, Cormac McCarthy shopping at Hot Topic. Okay. <laughs> Mag is back, baby. <laughs> Cormac, more like Gormac. This is going to get bloody. <laughs> Let's... Let's take a moment and think. Now, what if what if instead of Mac tonight being a giant moon-headed guy, it was it was Cormac tonight, and it was Cormac McCarthy pitching McDonald's food for a more sophisticated adult audience? Oh uh, yeah, but it's all the pretty it's birthers. sophisticated, but a fucked up audience, right? <laughs> hey, hope you can handle these burgers because <laughs> they're kind of wicked. Hey there, beautiful people. I'm Travel Anderson. And I'm Jared Hill. We are the hosts of Fanti, the show where we have complex and complicado conversations about the gray areas in our lives, the things that we really, really love sometimes, but also have some problematic feelings about. Yes, we get into it all. You want to know our thoughts about Nicki Minaj and all her foolishness? We got you. You want to know our thoughts about gentrification and perhaps some positive? question mark Uh aspects of gentrification we get into that too every single thursday you can check us out at maximumfun.org listen you know you want it honey so come on and get it (laughs) period hi my name is graham clark and i'm one half of the podcast stop podcasting yourself a show that we've recorded for many many years and uh, at the moment instead of being in person we're recording remotely and uh, you wouldn't even notice. You don't even notice the lag. That's right, Graham. And uh, the great thing about the, this. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. OK. And, OK, go ahead. And you can listen to us uh, every week on MaximumFun.org. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Your podcasts. The Flophouse is sponsored in part by Squarespace. It's the service that helps you cool, turn your cool idea into a new website, blog or publish content, sell products and services of all kinds, and much, much more. And they help you do this by giving you templates created by world-class designers, make it all look nice for you with everything optimized for mobile right out of the block. Blocks. Right out of the blocks. Right out of the blocks. <laughs> yeah, box is like a block, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> they're both he's right. Cube, cube, cubular. <laughs> totally cubular, dude. Yeah, they're both they're both totally cubular, Dan. <laughs> Everything optimized for mobile right out of the box. A new way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions, free and secure hosting, much more. Hey, go to squarespace.com slash flop. For a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code FLOP, that's F-L-O-P, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey, Dan, and I had an idea for a website. What? Anyway, oh. it's called Corm- it's called cormacdonalds.com, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a fest. It's, and we've got our No Country for Old Meat. Yeah, we've got, a, we've got all sorts of stuff. Anyway. Hey, you know those McNuggets characters that were singing and dancing and doing shit? Yeah. Now you're about to yeah. eat those guys. Isn't that fucked yeah, up? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and they're all just like killing people. And I mean, those stuff fry guys yeah. kind of look like the hair haircut that <laughs> Anton Shakur. Yeah, has. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all yeah. The fry guys are just walking around with with the, those cattle piston guns. Just uh, <laughs> and the Hamburglar, he stole from the wrong dudes, and now they're out to get him. Yeah, you know? that makes sense. And he's uh, like, "Grimace, Grimace, you gotta hide me!" But Grimace's throat has already been cut. Oh no, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, 
this podcast. I guess that bird. <laughs> what's the bird's name? She's like the ultra assassin Birdie. that gets sent after him. Birdie. I think the name is just Birdie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, this podcast is also sponsored in part by now, Dan. Now, okay, I've mm. got a different author McDonald's mm-hmm. mashup. What if instead of Ronald McDonald, it was Roald McDonald, mm-hmm. and it's Royal yep. Doll, but with the power of McDonald's. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. So what? The BFG is the big fries giant. That kind of stuff, yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <sighs> um, you- Obviously, Willy Wonka would have a burger uh-huh. factory in this scenario. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Dan, who's next on the sponsors? <laughs> the this next sponsors. BetterHelp Online Therapy. We talk about BetterHelp a lot on this show, and this month we're discussing some of the stigmas around, around mental health. For example, some people think you should wait until things are unbearable to go to therapy, but that's uh, not true. Therapy is a tool you can use before things get worse to sort of give you the coping me- mechanisms that will help you when things get bad, Uh you know, uh, help you process and deal with your emotions in a healthy way so you can avoid the lowest lows. Um, You know, you're never going to be happy all the time, but what you can do is learn how to uh, deal with and even appreciate your bad feelings, you know, understand how they're part of you. Uh, It's all stuff that therapy can help with. And BetterHelp is customized online therapy, offering video, for, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. Um, so if you don't want to see people on camera, you don't have to. It can be uh, even more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. Uh, this, sponsor, this, po- this podcast is sponsored by them. And the Flophouse listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash flop. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash flop. Uh, I believe you all have some Jumbotrons. Jumbotrons. I'm going to go first. Uh, oh, okay. No, Elliot, you go first. <laughs> no, no, go first, Stu. Go for it. Oh, really? For sure? Okay, I'm going to go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this message is for the original Peaches. That's us. The hey. message is from Perpetually Flopping in Portland. I became a new listener in 2021, and per Spotify's Wrapped, I've listened to 30,207 minutes of the Flophouse this year. Boys. Wow. That's 21 straight days of hearing your angelic spirits slowly dying over 14 years. For the amount of genuine joy you've brought me in a bad year, the least I could do was snag a Tron to sincerely thank you with all my heart. Uh, Thank you. So thank you, Perpetually Flopping in Portland. That's a lot of time. I also like to celebrate with Tron. Uh huh. He does. He likes to celibate with t- Tron. <laughs> I'm celibate <laughs> because of Tron. <laughs> it happens sometimes. Lasers just shoot off your ding dong. <laughs> and he, yeah, he does get stuck in an arcade game, and you know it uh, makes it hard, right? Uh, well, depending on if that's in your in- if that's what you're into, it certainly does. Anyway, our other jumbotron is for Nick, and it's from Derek, and he, and uh, Derek says to Nick, "Welcome to your 30s, kid." Hard to believe it's already been a decade since you were turning 20 and just starting to find your calling. A lot has changed in the world and our lives since then, but not the love and pride I have for you. I'm so proud of you, the things you've achieved, and the things you're going to achieve. Love you and see you soon. What a sweet, wonderful message. That's adorable. I love it when people have nice things to say to each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's that's better than now what, now opposite. what do we do on this podcast danny boy uh let's uh move on to letters from listeners uh you write them we read them that's the order of events this one is from that's how it works amanda <laughs> last name withheld uh it's titled help a clueless mom learn about comics three exclamation points hello <laughs> I'm looking to start. Dan, give us each exclamation point individually. Hello, exclamation point. I'm looking to start my eight-year-old son reading comics. He loves superheroes and drawing, and I think he'd really enjoy reading comics. I went online and wow, exclamation point. It's overwhelming, exclamation point. I never read comics as a kid and have no idea where to start, exclamation point. My question (laughs) is, what comics would you recommend for an eight-year-old? Like, where do I start? Thanks for any recommendations, exclamation point. I love the podcast, exclamation point. You guys make me laugh every week, exclamation point. Um, well, I, you know, I kind of found my way into comics through uh, through uh, Donald Duck comics and Uncle Scrooge comics and old reprints of EC horror comics and – the only superhero comics I would read were the ones that my brothers. Yeah. If Jack Davis heard had. you recommending EC horror comics to an eight year old, he would beat your ass. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I figured you guys. Well, Jack would Davis have, isn't here. Go for it, Dan. <laughs> oh wow! I guess you guys would be uh, better qualified to. I mean, it's not a superhero comic, but uh, I always recommend Bone is a great place to start reading oh, comics. That's a great one. If, yeah. if a exactly kid doesn't like I Bone, I don't know that kid. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, some ones that are – so with superhero comics, it's a little hard. Be- there are like younger reader versions of the different Marvel and DC heroes, but they're all, there's a certain level of violence in that that I still don't yeah. love my kids uh, being involved with. Although speaking, uh, speaking of Bone, I mean Jeff Smith also did that Shazam project that would be good for kids maybe. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that one's all right for kids too. But I mean, but Bone is a is a magical series. Like yeah. that's a series that like is a the. Uh, but there's there's a, a series called Hilo by Judd Winnick that my kids really like a lot. That's a more superheroy. Um, my kids really like uh, James Kachalka's kids comics. He has a character called the Gorkian Warrior, and that's that's a uh, that they like a lot. And those are more s- just silly, goofy than uh, than like adventure stories. But uh, I would say. You should uh, ask your local a librarian about things. There's a, but there's also there's a series called Secret Coders where there are kids who like um, use uh, math and coding skills to to have adventures in high school. But it's for younger kids uh, or maybe they're middle school kids. But that's one that my that my older son likes a lot because my older son is about to turn eight and he's a big comics reader right now. And a lot of it is him give him one or two things to try or or whatever your child's. Uh, type of child is give them one or two things to try and see where they go from there. Like Zeta, the space girl is a really good book, uh, that they might like. There's a book called Hereville, which is like a fantasy adventure starring an Orthodox Jewish character, but you don't have to be Jewish to read it. Uh, and that book <laughs> is really good. Uh, so I, and, uh, any of those I think are good starts, but bone is, that's the one that like, I was super excited to get my kids into. And, um, it's just a, it's just such a really great series. Um, and it's one that they can read now and read again later when they're older. Who knows? Yeah. But it's great. Uh, go to the go to the graphic novel section of your library, and I bet they will have 
stuff for kids there and the librarians might be able to help you because it is a growing sector of graphic novels is stuff for kids and kind of middle grade readers. And a lot of it's not superhero, which is great because the the less you can uh, limit what this medium can do in your kids' eyes, the more they'll have to enjoy when they get older and sure. the less they'll get stuck in the superhero dungeon that I live in. Yeah. Mm. Uh it's a great name for a comic book shop, though. <laughs> Superhero Dungeon. I mean, yeah. Android's Dungeon is the, is the comic book shop from uh, The Simpsons, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, unless you have anything, Stuart. No, I mean, I feel like it's kind of tough because uh, a lot of, at least a lot of the superhero comics I remember reading as a kid, I got exposed to when I was in, like, middle school. So that's a few years down the road. Um, but I feel like maybe some of the, like, early Marvel stuff, yeah. but even then, like... Having, that, like, having read some early Marvel stuff, I'm like, oh, some of these relationships are pretty booked up. <laughs> That's the thing. It's, not it's like in a cool Cormac McCarthy way either. No, not, not, not in a like, hey, <laughs> sorry, I freaked Twisted. you out type of way. But you ha- you definitely have uh, in the older – like the older Spider-Man books, the, the original Spider-Man books are some of the best of those. But yeah, a lot of the old superhero stuff has – there's a lot of gender assumptions, a lot of uh, – Race assumptions, even they were when they're trying. Like, there's a lot of books I've been reading with uh, with an older son of old X Men comics, and you're like, they're trying and getting it wrong in this one. But there's always a female character that kind of doesn't get to do anything, and everyone has to protect all the time. And that's that. That's not great stuff. But uh, you know, let them uh, introduce them to one or two things, and then kind of let them loose to explore and find what they would like. You know, as long as they're not picking up. Preacher or, you know, uh, Faust or Veronica or something like yeah, that, yeah, you know, yeah, they'll Providence. be okay. <laughs> you know what? I, I I remember, I I know that you're a Marvel zombie, but I remember uh, All-Star Superman being kind of a gentler. Uh, I mean, it's a, that's a great book, but I wonder if, I'd be curious how, I haven't read it in years, so I don't mm-hmm. know, but I'd be curious how it holds up for someone who is not, that book is so explicitly nostalgic for an earlier type of comics. Yeah, and I yeah. wonder how that book works for someone who is not already steeped in where comics were at the time. But there kinda, are like... It's kind of dense too, if I... Yes, I think so. And it's, it's got Frank Whiteley art, which looks great, but is, I think, if I, when I was a kid, I think I would have found Frank Whiteley's characters to look kind of weird and lumpy. Um, <laughs> That's what I like so, about it. But uh, I would say take a look at, if you really want to show them superhero stuff, then take a look maybe at some of the all ages stuff put out by those publishers or um, or something like, uh, something like Zeta is a, not exactly superhero, but it's like a science fiction fantasy adventure, you know? So, I mean, like that. Let us move on to our second and final letter. It is from Michael, last name withheld. Imperially. <laughs> I've listened to your entire back catalog, uh, but this is the first time I've written. Would Despite- you want to come on to my Sopranos podcast? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Despite the happiness you've brought to my life over the last decade, apparently nothing inspired me to get in touch with you and express my heartfelt gratitude uh, until episode 357, Santa Claus the movie. What did See, I get wrong about Star Wars this time, guys? <laughs> For a few years now, this has been my fantasy that one day I would be famous enough or something to be invited as a guest of your show and choose for us a review uh, to review this together, uh, this thing which left an indelible scar on my teenage years. Let me describe the setting for you. It was the late 80s. An unusually big snowstorm had hit South Georgia. I stayed out in the snow too late at night, improperly dressed. What child in the Deep South knows how to dress for snowy weather anyway? And ended up with the flu. That year, Santa Claus the movie was shown on television. And I watched it in a state of misery, unsure of how much of it was a fever dream. 
I distinctly remember the jarring anachronism of Cornelia and Joe being revealed to be in modern-day New York. Not only had Joe been portrayed as a Victorian street urchin, as you all noted, but Cornelia was being forced by her nanny to do Latin homework. And suddenly, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, and Joe calling Cornelia corny. Dudley Moyer's <laughs> performance seemed insanely annoying, and when BZ was revealed to be Cornelia's step-uncle, he gave her an incomprehensibly sinister greeting, as if she, too, was finding out for the first time who he was. I do remember that he does a little whirl around in his chair, as if mm -hmm. she's going to be surprised. that Oh, it's John Lithgow. <laughs> Um, by the time the titular movie got to the drugged up floating children, I felt sicker and more miserable than I could remember ever being. But for some reason, I watched it to the end. Now, it would be natural, uh, for you to suspect that I'm exaggerating about the effect, but all of it was true. And perhaps that tra traumatic incident <laughs> had something to do with why I came to hate Christmas. Perhaps this is why in college... I preferred decidedly non-jolly and gruesome stories about the Bishop of Myra, Nicholas, such as the one of him resurrecting three children who had been butchered and pickled in a barrel by an unscrupulous businessman who was planning to sell them as pork. Perhaps this is why I converted to Judaism and moved to Jerusalem, where I only occasionally see hints of a secular and thoroughly Rus Russian Father Frost for those residents' New Year's Eve celebration. Alas, I will probably never be famous enough to be invited as a guest host on my beloved flop house. But this Hanukkah, you gave me a thoroughly unexpected gift of joy. Keep on flopping. Sincerely, Michael, last name withheld, Jerusalem, Israel. I've always been confused by the idea of Santa Claus because it feels like you are doing, you're really making it harder for Christianity to, to get across to people. Yeah. When you say to kids, there's a guy, there's a magic guy with a beard and he can see you and he knows when you're good or bad and he's going to reward you if you're good and he won't reward you if you're bad. And then when they when they grow up, you're like, psych, that was fake. But anyway, the other guy with the beard who can see everything you're doing, <laughs> he rewards you when you're good and he, and he does not reward you when you're bad, that's real. Like it feels like you are you are building in a disbelief <laughs> in Jesus when you when you pregame it by creating this, this by creating the shock of knowing see, Santa Claus is not real. See, this is good storytelling. This is like you, you, you create the, the red herring, the fake. Yeah, the, Dan's got a point. So you can spring mm, the real mm. twist on them later. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're like, so the, the twist is that Santa's not real, but Jesus still is real. Yeah. I just, uh, I don't know. Anyway, speaking of Israel and Israel, uh, welcome to Judaism, I guess. I don't know when you converted, but nice job. Uh, sure. Um, now's another part of the show. Uh -huh. Let us uh, talk about movies that we saw that we can recommend. Uh, the movie that I saw recently that I liked the most was Pig, which I saw Pig on the plane back from celebrating <laughs> Elliot's birthday. It fucking uh, rules, right? Yeah. yeah and it's a really good movie. You know, I want to mention it again just because we're, you know, we spend so much time highlight highlighting Nicolas Cage's lesser movies that I feel like I need to even the scales a little bit. But I, uh, Stuart already recommended that one. So I'm going to go to Cop Shop, another movie I saw on a plane, back to classic Dan here, as the world opens up. <laughs> um, you will, we will once again more, get more of Dan's, Dan in the air, our Dan's, special segment, we're done. <laughs> where his critical faculties are a little lower than normal. Welcome to Mile High Viewing Club. Uh, no, Cop Shop is um, a Joe Carnahan movie. He is a huge mixed bag as a writer-director, I think, but like he he he. he can do 
entertaining what sort of other one? stripped down thrillers. Carnahan. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see what else did he do? He did The Gray. He did The A Team. Okay. He did Smoking Maces <laughs> and Boss Level. <laughs> Oof, Not okay. as good those ones as the. But um. Okay. But this one <laughs> was uh was fun and. You know, it's a redemption of sorts for another uh, Flophouse favorite, uh, Gerard Butler's in it. Gremlin Battler. Gremlin Battler. He's uh, he's he's good in it. Frank Grillo, uh, who Stu. Uh, sure, Crossbones. Yeah, Crossbones. Of, yeah. Uh, Toby Huss from Halt and Catch Fire. Right, he's good. He's in it. Alexis Louder is the um, lead, and I was less. I mean, Toby Huss is. I'm amazed that Halt and Catch Fire is your is your go to for Toby Huss. What, That's what interesting. Would be What's yours? Uh, Artie, the strongest man in the world from the adventures of Pete and Pete. Oh, he Wait, was? Really? And, his, and, his, and his many voices on King of the Hill. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, Alexis Louder is a bit of more of a newcomer f- for me, but she was terrific as the uh, sort of the person who's revealed over the course of it to be kind of the, 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 the lead of the movie. Um, it's just a movie about uh, this guy who's looking to – uh, not get killed, so he deliberately gets himself arrested. Except for so does one of the people looking to kill him, uh, and then there's. I thought, a- you meant, I, thought you, I thought you meant except for so does. That's the one thing he's looking to get. He's, he's that's the that's his one exception. It turns into sort of an assault on precinct thirteen situation where he's inside this you know uh, police station being held, and people on the outside want to kill him. Uh, and I would say that much like Grand Isle, the first couple acts are better than the last. It gets uh-huh. a little too crazy. Like I like uh, a movie of this type that's a little more stripped down and with a one foot in reality. And at the end, it, reality goes out the window. But if you like, like in Takeshi Miyagi's Dead or Alive, <laughs> yeah. If you like a not quite that <laughs> out the window, but if you like a good. Uh, Low-budget action thriller. You could do worse than Cop Shop. <laughs> what? They're Raves, not all going to be like... <laughs> no, they're not all going to be fucking slam dunks. About, you know. No, I understand. I understand. Yeah, man, I get it. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here and do a recommendation. I'm going to recommend, what, another two movies? I'm going to recommend two movies <laughs> that popped up on Netflix. Um, uh, I'm going to recommend The Fable, and its sequel, The Fable, The Killer Who Doesn't Kill. Uh, they are Japanese action comedies. I believe they're based on a manga. They're, the premise is fairly simple. You have the world's greatest uh, hitman assassin, and he gets too much heat on him, so his boss makes him go undercover in Osaka, and he has to live a normal life without killing anybody. Of course, he runs into trouble and he has to manage to maintain his vow of not killing anybody while also getting into all kinds of action shenanigans. Uh, it's super silly and funny and the action sequences are fucking badass. Uh, they're great. I recommend them. Uh, the, the Fable and The Fable Killer Who Doesn't Kill. Speaking of super silly and just wacky, anyway, I want to recommend Malcolm X, uh, directed by Spike Lee and starring <laughs> Denzel Washington. <laughs> I'm I'm in the middle of this thing where every now and then I'm I'm going back and watching movies that came out in the 90s where I was just a little too young to actually go see them. Mm. And so this is one that I was catching up on, uh, and I thought it was really great. Yeah. Uh, I was. Uh, it's the, an example of it's a long movie, but the movie kind of flies by, to be honest, uh, and it feels like real. Big budget, 
and I don't know how big the budget was, fairly big, I guess, like 80s, 90s historical movie making um, and real epic scope. But what I liked about it was that the movie, uh, among other, the fact that it looks great and it it's really, it's entertaining, but also interesting and Denzel Washington's amazing in it, everybody is, but that it's very much a biography of a person going through several changes emotionally and intellectually throughout it. And they really take his ideas seriously and the way they developed throughout his life seriously as like, we're not just telling the story of this person's life divorced of what was actually going on in their head that made them an important person. We're going to show you, and we're not going to show you like just one chunk of his life and make that representative of the entirety. They're showing yeah. how he changed throughout his whole life and how his thinking changed. And I thought that was really fascinating that it was focused more on like his ideas and how he changed as a person in his cultural and social framework than just on like, and then this thing happened in his life and then this thing happened. Anyway, yeah, uh, it was really that's, great. That's such an, I mean, that's a really good point. I feel like it's so common with uh, biographical movies of figures is to just focus, like assume they are this one person and then just present their life without anything. Yeah. Or there's the, oftentimes better choice of like, here, let's just show a snippet, something like Selma, where they're like, this is just going to be a little bit. We're not trying to give you the entire picture of this figure. Mm-hmm. Um, but Malcolm X kind of does that. It's great. Yeah. It, I mean, it gives, it, a lot of those movies, I think, give the impression that that people are kind of stuck in one place and that they, or that they have a very easily defined arc where it's like, and this is where the story of their life ends, even if their life continues going. Like, this is their achievement. Whereas... Malcolm uh-huh. X really gets across the idea of somebody who was changing throughout his whole life and was still changing when he was murdered. So it's it, – it, I thought it was – that's something that I haven't seen very much in movies. And obviously it's a different type of movie than like A Beautiful Mind. But it really <laughs> made me irritated that A Beautiful Mind is like, this guy's a brilliant mathematician, but we don't need to get into his math at all. Like we don't really need to – like we don't – all we're interested in is the – is this – is the the kind of like the details of his uh, – The easy his struggle, like Oscar – bait yes. personal stuff. <laughs> Whereas this is this feels like a movie that really engages with why is this person an important person? Like why what is it that made him different or galvanizing for other people other than just I feel like the easy way out is just to show someone giving speeches and have people go, yeah, yeah. And there's this does more than that. So anyway, I was really glad that I watched it. And if the length of it uh puts you off at all because it is like three and a half hours long. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's a fast-moving three and a half hours. Or you do it like I did and watch it in segments. Don't sit through it all the way through. Uh, and it's just amazing how – I feel like uh, this was – all I knew about this movie when I was a kid was that it was like controversial. And the idea that like to make a big uh, bi- bi- biopic of Malcolm X was like controversial. And it's one of those movies where watching it now, I'm like, I don't – like it's hard. I don't really see what's controversial about it. Like at least where where America is now. It's like uh, – I don't know. Just it it was interesting to think about that, that when I was a kid, it was like this was a dangerous movie in a way, the way I remember yeah. hearing people talk about mm-hmm. it and watching it. I was like, oh, no, this is really like a re- this is a really good movie. This, this is not a movie that is going to um, that I feel like doesn't give you all sides of this person, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so that's Malcolm X. Go see it. It's on HBO Max, I guess, or buy the DVD. I don't know. Or mm-hmm. go to Spike Lee's house. Uh, I'm sure he's got a copy. Or buy the what the VHS double Double t- yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was there was something about as a as a kid seeing a, any movie that was on two VHS tapes and being like, "That's a movie." Yeah, like, like he, I remember he used to be in two two uh, tapes, and I'm like, "Oh shit, like, this has got to be a movie." 
when I was at like a teenager seeing Seven Samurai in the library as, as a two VHS movie and being There's like, so this movie must be it. huge. There must be so much movie going on. E- yeah, each tape only has three and a half samurai. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see all seven. I got to watch both tapes. <laughs> Um, it was, and then, and then when the first DVDs came out, and you had to flip them over to get to the other side what? to get to the rest of the movie. Uh-huh. You don't remember that? that? Sh- those shitty cardboard like clamshell things. Man, those things were mm-hmm. fucking trash. And they give me, give you give me CD they... long boxes. Bring me back CD long boxes, baby. <laughs> no, it's such a waste of packaging. <laughs> yeah, and, but the uh, art, and then, you with... get that full bleed art, Ellie. It's amazing. It looks so great. No, but what I liked, Ugh. what I liked about those those crappy cardboard packaging was that one, you didn't feel bad throwing it away because it looked like trash. You could just put them in a CD book. What? But also. They'd give you the titles for all the chapters right there in the right there on the package. When you open it up, you get all the titles for all the chapters in the movie, which is, uh-huh. which was a job when I was younger. I always wanted was the person who named the chapters because it seems uh-huh. totally unnecessary. It's not like the director and the screenwriter <laughs> are sitting there being like, "Now, as we make this movie, we got to name each of the chapters. We got we to yeah, make yeah. it clear what's going on." Our yeah, friend Bill uh, Hickey always joked about how obvious it was in the scene in Roadhouse that that scene would be titled "Be Nice." <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, that's another Cajemus for the books, uh, uh, another year past. I know it's been <laughs> a rough one. Uh, I just want to say thank you to uh, all Next of Next year's going to be better, right? Yeah, well, look. It's going to be your year, not, man. I want to thank all of you listeners for being here with us. I want to thank uh, you, Elliot and Stuart, for being my friend. Uh, I know that uh, it's hard to live in this world sometimes. I don't know why I feel the obligation at Cagemus <laughs> to do a summing up, but like, just you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the last episode of the of the year, I guess. But <laughs> I mean, everything's really, gonna be okay. It's, it's just not, right. there's more. I guess there's that's a mini true. afterwards. <laughs> I, you know, I'm just saying, like, don't let it, <laughs> like, don't let it get you down. The only thing you can. I don't can, know why Grand Isle has brought <laughs> up these emotions. The only you. thing you can control is yourself. So don't. If you can, don't harden. Have empathy towards yourself. Have have empathy towards others. Uh, we're glad to have you with us. It's like Dalton uh, always says: be nice. Be nice until it's time <laughs> to not be nice. No, Dan. There's a very. There's almost no times when you shouldn't be nice. Yeah, yeah. But Dalton says he'll he'll tell you when the time comes. You'll know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so wait till Dalton tells you. Yeah. <laughs> when you get the wait, so is that what B Dalton booksellers Dalton. was? Was yeah. it be nice Dalton? <laughs> be, yeah. <laughs> B period nice Dalton. Um, <laughs> Thank you to Alex Smith, our editor. Thank you to Maximum Fun, our network. Go to MaximumFun.org for other great podcasts. But until next time, I've been Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm Ellie Kalin saying Merry Cagemas, one and all. Bye. Uh, Posting a TikTok of me fucking with Dan. Whoa! Stuart, you really live more online than in meat space now. The only meat space I'm thinking about is the one between Nicolas Cage's legs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's my first try. I'm uh, I'm workshopping. First try at at what? I'm not sure what you're trying at. Make like a horny Nicolas Cage Cage joke. (laughs) Oh, I see. Okay. All right. Um. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.